verse 7. Um, I'm going to read from verse 7 to verse 12. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. <laughs> I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. James, why don't you come and join me? Hello. We this is James. Just... Hello. Give a big Cindy's welcome to James. Oh, man. Welcome, James. Oh, thanks. Um, I feel so welcome since 8 a.m. Yeah, it's been a great We go day. way back, don't we? You yeah, were my... Too far back. You were my frep, I think, at college. Frep. At yeah, something university. like that. I expect that rep. means nothing to most people, but yeah, something like that. Anyway. Yeah. And the president of my college. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And Maybe. you were always better at um, sport than me. Who are you, James? So, yeah. Um, my name's James. Uh, married to my wife, shock horror, called Lucy. Uh, we go to a sister church of yours called St. Mark's Battersea Rise, so really nearby, so... Yeah, that's, that's literally all there is to me. I've got um, not a receding hairline, I've got an advancing forehead. Um, and for 13 years, I've done Irish dancing, which is like, just to break the ice, you probably have no respect for me now. So there we go, there we go. I asked if he'd give a demonstration, but he might have vetoed Yeah, no, doing no, that. definitely, I've retired. Maybe, retired maybe afterwards. Early. So yeah. <laughs> and what are you here to speak about oh, tonight, James? Speak what about? is IJM? Um, IJM stands for International Justice Mission. Um, what is IJM? Why don't you go? Because you work for IJM. Oh, okay, right. So Angus has spent like four months working for IJM in Washington. Um, IJM, by the grace of God, is the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. Um, last year, we rescued 4,616 people. Um, Woo! Yeah. And we're literally just a group of Christians. Every day starts with prayer praying that actually if we're going to see an end to slavery in our lifetime, it's going to come from praying to Jesus and wanting to see transformation. So that's it. And so, yeah, we'll be talking a bit about Amazing. that. Amazing. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, why don't we pray for you just yeah. before um, you start? Um, Lord, we just thank you so much for James. We thank you um, for bringing him here tonight. And yeah, may his words tonight just be your words. Yeah. And yeah, just prepare our hearts now, Jesus, just to receive what James has for us tonight. Amen. Thanks. That's like the loudest slurp I've ever made. Um, hi, how are you doing? Um, I'm James. Uh, I, um, I'm here to share about IGM, as you know, um, but I just firstly want to say, I know that so many of you guys are already involved uh, with either IGM or justice in general. So from your community alone, we've had like Angus, we've had uh, Henny Box, we've had Alex Rogers, Charlotte Trefusis. There's just been a whole group of people, Rosie Gillum, um, and that's just with IJM. If we're talking about God's heart for justice in general, there are so many of you involved in serving the least, the last, and the lost. So for those of you that are, if you hear anything today from God, hear this. Thank you. Thank you for coming alongside the marginalized. 
thank you for being with the oppressed. My favorite C.S. Lewis quote is super simple, it's this. We kneel in the suffering of this world, tasting the coming joy. Tasting the coming joy. So thank you. I had the privilege last month uh, to be in Cambodia, which doesn't happen to me often. Um, I'm actually a bit tanned, but I think that's more from Clapham Common than it is from Cambodia. Um, but yeah, so I was in Cambodia last month, which was amazing. And I was out with our team there, and we've been in Cambodia for 15 years, raising up Cambodian Christians to end sex trafficking, which is just amazing. When we started working in the country, there were 30 lawyers in the entire country. Like, sex trafficking was rife. And I sat down with our team, and there's been this incredible transformation. Prevalence of minors in the sex industry has gone from 30% to less than 0.1%. That's nuts. And so I sat down with our aftercare team, and I asked them one question. What do you get up in the morning for? What really makes you want to work? And these social workers, these Cambodian Christian social workers, turned to me, and one of them just said one word. Rescue the opportunity to go into the brothel with the police and be the first face that a victim of sex trafficking sees, the first face that a 13-year-old girl will see, to come alongside them and to say, you're coming into a new life of freedom, rescue. I um, came back from Cambodia and um, I had a day off work afterwards, it was a Monday, uh, Luce had gone to work, I was alone, and I usually get ill when I do like a big travel like that and come back, so I'd like plans that day just to get ill, which, you know, <laughs> praise the Lord I wasn't, which was great, but it's like, oh, what do I do with my time? And um, the new Avengers film is out, so I went to see the Avengers film by myself, and I've never been to the cinema by myself up to this moment, and some of you are there like, oh, that's a bit strange, and some of you are there like, ah, oh, why did you not do that before then? Um, and so I go to the cinema alone, and it was actually a really incredible experience. There are some great things about a cinema trip when you go alone that I never realized. Firstly, you don't have to share your armrests with the people you love. You can take both. It's okay. Secondly, I don't know how you feel about um, people speaking during a film. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Um, but I, there's, there's no one with me, so no one interrupted my film watching, which was ideal. And finally, um, uh, there's actually two categories of clothing that I've got clothing and then over time Lucy relegates my clothing with holes to sportswear and eventually sportswear gets relegated to textiles recycling um, but actually when I go to the cinema alone I can wear anything so so going to the cinema alone was really fun an hour through the film um, there was this thing that happened with Spider-Man and I know something happened I won't do any spoilers it was like a big wow moment and it's meant to be like really action-packed with Avengers and I just glaze over I switch off, and having come back from Cambodia, I just keep on reflecting on what this one social worker had said about rescue. I can't think of anything else. She told me one story when I was there of a girl called Elizabeth, who at 13 was trafficked into a brothel, and every day for years was servicing 15 to 20 men a day. That was Elizabeth's teenage life. Until one day after a few years, an investigator went into the brothel with a really small camera, collected the evidence, fed it back to the police, and then they did a raid. When the social worker went into the building, to the brothel for the first time, all she could smell was the smoke and the sweat and the alcohol. 
And as she moved from room to room to room, rescuing girl after girl after girl, they came to Elizabeth's room. They opened the door, and at first, this room that could fit nothing more than a double bed in it was just empty, apart from a curtain in the corner. And as they pulled back the curtain, Elizabeth was cowering on the floor. The social worker kneels down next to Elizabeth and just says, Elizabeth, you're free. You don't know what this means right now, but you're coming into a place where you'll be able to taste what education means. You'll be able to see what freedom looks like. You're going to come into a new life. And Elizabeth takes a few moments, and it's still not really processing because she hasn't seen what the hands and feet of Jesus looks like up to now. She hasn't seen what freedom looks like. And then over time, the moment comes when, for Elizabeth, it clicks. And she says, I know where other girls are being kept. And so over a period of weeks, Elizabeth the rescued becomes Elizabeth the rescuer. Because we know that freed people free people. After time, that brothel was being transformed into a community house. And as they were going back through the rooms, just um, cleansing them, making sure it was all free, they go back into Elizabeth's room and they pull back the curtain. And as she's now in a place of restoration, they're just looking over the room. And in the corner of the room, down next to the curtain, Elizabeth had written in chalk during her time of captivity. Even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is never separate from the suffering of this world. And we are called to kneel in the suffering of this world, tasting the coming joy. For some of us, that's quite moving. For some of us, actually, that's just really difficult to comprehend. And I snap back into the cinema, and actually my daily life continues. I finish eating my popcorn, um, I go back to my normal life. Um, and actually, what injustice looks like for me typically isn't that narrative of Elizabeth. It's a bit more like something that happened to me last week when Lucy asked me to go and get an avocado from a supermarket. And so I step into the supermarket, avocado in hand. I have three options for payment, the normal queue, the self-checkout aisle, and I struggle like getting fruit and veg through the checkout aisle. So I then look at the 10 items or less aisle, which seems ideal. So I stand in the 10 items or less aisle, and I'm waiting, I'm in a rush, I just want to get this avocado through checkout. And um, I see the person in front of me has quite a full basket, and so I count their basket. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13 items. Now, this is quite a big issue of injustice, isn't it? And I'm here looking at this person, and I'm feeling quite frustrated, and I don't know if you ever have this reaction, but I let out that quite passive-aggressive British sigh, where I, like, sigh, at, like, obviously this man can hear in front of me, in the hope that something's going to change, when obviously me sighing is going to do nothing. <laughs> and so I sigh, nothing happens. This man continues to process his items, and I'm just left here going, well, this man is either one of two things. He's either blatantly disregarding the rules, or he can't read, but he's wearing a gilet, so he can read. So, and you're just left here going, what, what can you do with this man? And that's, that's what I see as injustice most days. 
But obviously in the Bible, when it talks about biblical injustice, we're talking usually about when one people group oppress another. In the Hebrew, it talks about Mizpat and Zadok. It talks about this idea of Mizpat being righting wrongs, and then Zadok being the idea of whole community. And the Bible repeatedly talks about these two things for the people who are left on the fringes of our society. For the widows, for the orphans, for the refugees, for those trapped in modern day slavery, for the homeless. And the Bible is really passionate about serving these people. And together, Mizpat and Zadek come together to make a word that we're a bit more familiar with. That word is shalom, peace. And if we want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, then we are called to bring that corrective justice and that wholeness of community that comes together as peace. I would love to turn us um, to a passage in the Bible, which is Exodus, um, and we're going to start actually at Exodus 2. We're going to pick up with Moses, as I'm sure you know. Um, Exodus 2 is the less famous passage about Moses, because obviously we always think about like the burning bush. But in Exodus 2, 2 we pick up Moses, who is um, actually trapped in between two people groups. He's um, grown up as an Egyptian in a place of privilege with the royal family. But we all know that his ancestral heritage is with the Israelites, the slaves and the slave masters. And Moses finds himself in between these two people groups. And so in chapter two, Moses um, sees and experiences biblical injustice for the first time. He sees an Egyptian slave master beating an Israelite slave. And Moses' heart breaks for what breaks God's heart. He sees slavery and he feels that righteous injustice and he responds in his own strength. It doesn't quite go to plan. He kills the Egyptian slave master and then he has to run away. And so for the next 40 years, Moses is a shepherd sitting on a rock with a staff because he saw the injustice of this world, but he responded in his own strength. In Exodus 3, then we have Moses encounters the burning bush and it says that when Moses sees God in the burning bush, he covers his face. Um, if I saw uh, this burning bush situation, I think my response would be a bit more like this. Like, I would be honestly really freaked out. And I feel like that's a bit of an understatement, but we'll, we'll let Moses have it. Um, and so Moses is left in this situation of feeling quite intimidated because of the individual situation, but also because basically God is asking Moses to rescue a million people from slavery. There's more slaves in the world now than there was at any other point in human history, more than at the time of William Wilberforce. It's really legitimate for us to feel overwhelmed by that, to feel completely unempowered to respond. That's exactly how Moses feels. God tells Moses that he has to go and speak to the most powerful man in the world at the time, Pharaoh, and ask him to let all of the Israelites free so that they can go and worship God in the wilderness. Like, Pharaoh has no legitimate reason to do that. Moses is a murderer, and he has a speech impediment. He feels completely unprepared to go and do public speaking to the most powerful man in the world, which is really legitimate. And so there's this ongoing struggle and discussion that goes through Exodus 3 as Moses basically says, I'm not your person. 
And God says, it's not about you, Moses. You'll do this in my strength. But even that's not enough for Moses. So we pick it up in Exodus 4, where God asks Moses one question, which is the question for you today. When you're faced by overwhelming injustice, when you see all of the suffering in this world and you have no idea about how to even start to comprehend this, God turns to you and asks you one question. What have you in your hands? Moses has a staff. With this staff, he's been shepherding sheep. Maybe he's killed a few snakes, but nothing miraculous. But actually, in God's strength, Moses uses this staff to do miracles, to part the sea, to turn the Nile to blood. He does incredible things because God wants to turn your ordinary into extraordinary. I heard a church leader last week say something really simple. I'll do what I can and God will do the rest. When we're faced by these overwhelming problems, the enemy wins if we just get numb and switch off. But that's not God's plan for ending injustice. God's plan is that we just do one really small thing and maybe that will turn into two really small things. And maybe that will start a movement that will see an end to injustice, an end to slavery. We had the privilege of working in the Philippines over a period of about 15 years. By the grace of God, working with the Bill Gates Foundation, IJM was meant to get a 20% reduction in child sexual exploitation, otherwise known as sex trafficking. Over four years, we got a 79% reduction because God wants to use our ordinary to do the extraordinary. God wants to see an end to slavery. It's not out of reach. On Tuesday, um, you guys have the tool shed, and I'm toolkit, toolkit, sorry, tool shed is something they do at Soul Survivor. Uh, so tool, toolkit, um, and we're just gonna talk through what that means. What does it look like to end slavery in our local community? What does it mean to look at ending slavery and taking that first step, first two steps? It would be amazing to have you here. It's gonna be a discussion. It's not just gonna be me talking because then you'll probably fall asleep. Um, it will just be a really great open discussion about that. I'd love to see you there. But also, if you wanna pray or come alongside us financially, then that would be incredible. Please don't hold back because those are the things that are gonna fuel an end to slavery. And if you wanna follow in the footsteps of so many in this community who have gone before you, just come and talk to me if you wanna go and serve, go on mission. But let me leave you with one story. In 1785, there's a man called Thomas Clarkson. Thomas is in no way related to Jeremy Clarkson. Um, and Thomas Clarkson in 1785 does what every average man in his 30s does. He enters a Latin essay writing competition. Um, I don't know if you studied Latin, I won't ask you to raise your hand because you will lose all street credibility in this room. Um, I see a few of you have, oh wow, you guys are audacious. Um, and so Thomas enters this competition and the title of the essay is super simple. Is it immoral to enslave the unwilling? Is it immoral to enslave the unwilling? Now, we all know the answer, slavery is wrong. But actually in 1785, Thomas is growing up in a completely different British culture where slavery isn't just a part of society, slavery underpins British culture. 
And so Thomas picks up his Bible, has a read, reads some of the articles, and comes to a revolutionary conclusion. Slavery is wrong. And so Thomas writes this Latin essay. He does really well. He wins the competition. We can pat Thomas on the back. Well done. But actually, something way more important happens that day. God breaks Thomas's heart for what breaks his heart. And so Thomas gets back on his horse, doesn't drive home, goes home, and halfway home gets off his horse and is convicted to kneel on the ground and commit his life to see an end to slavery. And Thomas does the only three things that he knows he can do because slavery was overwhelming because he felt completely unempowered to respond because he did not know where to start, but he knew the words that were spoken in Nehemiah when it said, do not despise small beginnings. So Thomas prayed. Thomas put money into it. And then Thomas just started to speak to the people that he knew. And it just so happened that two years later, Thomas sat down with a man called William Wilberforce. It took another 48 years to see an end to slavery. Because actually, ending the injustice of this world isn't going to be a summer project. It's going to take not a flame, not a fire, but a really hot, burning coal. It's going to take our passion and our prayers. But here's the thing. Every great work of God is first impossible, and then it's difficult, and then it's done. Ending slavery isn't impossible. It's just really difficult. But God wants to take our ordinary and turn it into the extraordinary. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the oppressed. Lord, we thank you that you have a heart for all of those who are on the margins. And Lord, we just pray that you will give us a real discernment on what it means to pick up our staff. Lord, what does it mean for us to serve the homeless, to serve those uh, trapped in unemployment? Lord, what does it mean to serve refugees? And what does it mean to serve those trapped in slavery? Lord, we pray that we will see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray right now that your justice on this earth will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.